You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Well, um, you may or may not know, but I was gone this last week. I got an opportunity of a lifetime. I was invited by Rick Teeny, who calls Grace home and who has a cabin up on um, the Kenai River in Alaska to go with um, some other guys here from Grace and some other guys thrown in to have a week-long fishing trip on the Kenai Peninsula. So I got this invitation. I said, yeah, no. You know, I said, yes, right? I said, absolutely. So last Sunday, I flew out from a family gathering and I spent the last week on the Kenai River in Alaska and just flew in last night. So I'm still not quite sure what zip code I'm in, but it'll all work out. But that being said, this was uh, the first day, first morning, Monday morning, my first sockeye salmon. Um, And you know, you hear a lot about the Copper River salmon, right? You hear about that all the time. Well, these are the Copper River salmon. They gather out in the ocean and they choose to go up one of two rivers, either the Copper River or the Kenai River. So we were fishing the Kenai River, and this was uh, the first morning, so not a bad haul of fish. Yeah, um, it got bad, better. This was later on in the evening, so we went out twice that first day, and this is the crew that was, that was there, and, uh, and that was fun. We, we limited out, and then we limited out every single day we were there. Um, that's uh, 66 fish that we caught in the span of about three hours, and then this was the next day, and then this was the next day. And this was the next day. Unbelievable, right? I mean, it was just so much fun. So we're having a barbecue at my house. Three o'clock today. I'm cooking salmon for everyone. I, I wish I could do that. Unfortunately, not all those fish came home with me. And, but those are all the ones I caught. Not really. That's what everybody caught that that one day. But man, it was so great. And I just found myself going, glory to God. This is the way God intended fishing to be. I mean, this is it. This is, you know, this is the new heaven and the new earth. You know, fish everywhere. I mean, this is is fantastic, right? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And that's where we're going to go. Not fish. We're we're done talking about fish. But we are going to talk about what it means to glorify God. Because as we now come to this section of the Gospel of John, if you happen to miss last week's time, and I greatly encourage you to go and watch that online or to listen to it online, and some of you have and are doing that, but Matt took us through the passage that precedes this. It was a wonderful sermon and such a powerful message where Jesus has just told the disciples once again that he's going to be leaving them. And they're grief-stricken. They don't want him to leave, but he calls them to this joy that is theirs to have through prayer, through, through asking him for anything in his name. But he is preparing them for him to go to the cross. And now he's going to pray. And this, this really is a model prayer for us. And when it comes to prayer, some of prayer really is in, intuitive for us. Even if you're not necessarily a spiritual person, you, you, you get, in some ways, what prayer is about. In fact, in a, in a Gallup survey, it was found that more Americans pray each week than drive a car, have sex, go to work, or exercise. Really? Yeah, really. People are praying. That's not really the question. The question isn't, are you or I praying? The real question is, who are we praying to? And what are we praying for? 
Well, in this model prayer for us, Jesus is gonna model some spiritual realities for us, including this incredible reality of glorifying God. What does glory to God mean? And we're gonna, we're gonna do business with that here this morning. So this is just a handful of verses, but man, are they loaded with life change for you and me. This is what it says. So after Jesus said this, after he had told the disciples he was leaving them, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Such a rich passage for us and so, so very powerful. And look how Jesus starts this prayer. He says, Father. Now, this was, this was a term of incredible intimacy to call God Father. Jews in Jesus' time did not address God this way. Yet Jesus is modeling this, this intimacy to us. And he says that the hour has come. And some translations say the time has come. And this is really John, John's shorthand for Jesus' crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and, and glorification, exaltation to the right hand of, of God the Father. And this has been coming. We have seen this throughout the Gospel of John. For those of you who have been with us through this series, in John 2, 4, it says, my hour is coming. In John 7, 30, my hour is coming. In John 8, 20, my hour is coming. In John 12, 23, my hour is coming. In John 13, 1, my hour is coming. But here in John 17, Jesus says, my hour has come. And then we see all these references to glory. In fact, that's, the, that's what Jesus prays for is for him to be glorified, for the Father to be glorified. In fact, five times in this passage, in these five verses, he says, glory or glorify. So what does that mean? What is he, what is he asking for? I mean, if we, if we go to the dictionary definition of glory, it has this idea of greatness, splendor, majesty, and to glorify is really the, the action of that, to praise, adore, and appreciate someone by loving them, serving them, and, and pleasing them. And in this passage, Jesus says, glorify me, that I may glorify you. And when he's saying this, he is declaring something that I think goes deeper and further then we sometimes find ourselves thinking about and understanding. I mean, we understand what it means to glorify God by what we've just been doing here with Becca and, and Tony, worship, singing praises to God, singing songs to God. That's definitely a way of glorifying God. Me standing up here telling you that the Kenai Peninsula is the way God always intended fishing to be, glory to God for that, declaring God's glory is a way of glorifying him. But at the heart of glorifying God is how you and I live our lives. Jesus will glorify the Father by his life, but then by his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven. 
So to glorify God really means to be with him. Glorifying God starts with being with him. So are you? Do do you know God as Jesus talks about here? Because this is really a bottom line verse. And you hear me say this often in my preaching. It's one of my favorite verses because if you want to know the bottom line, here it is to glorifying God. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And once again, this word know is not about information. It's really about transformation. It's about relationship. It's about relational knowing. I can tell you after spending a week with some of these guys from Grace, I know them a whole lot better. You ever seen the movie The Guns of Navarone? That's what it's like to sleep in a room with these guys, with all the snoring. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. I know things I'd rather not know about these guys. No, I'm just kidding. But, but I, I know them better because I spent time with them, because there's relationship there. But this isn't that kind of knowing. This is a deeper knowing than that. When God talks about knowing, knowing him, it is referring to the type of intimacy, the type of connection that exists between a husband and a wife in a lifelong relationship. It's it's the deepest level of, of intimacy. So does that describe your relationship with God? Not just knowing about God, but do you know him? Are you progressively knowing him better? Knowing him more intimately? Growing in in greater intimacy and depth of relationship with him? You can. Because at the end of the day, Christianity, the Bible, isn't about what you know. It's about who you know. And you're hardwired for this, and so am I. Do you know why people intuitively know to pray, know how to pray? People who would say, I'm, I'm not spiritual. I'm, I'm, even, I'm an atheist. People who are irreligious. Yet intuitively, they know how to pray. How is that? Because you and I are hardwired for this intimate, knowing relationship with God. In fact, it's your life's purpose and mine. Look what the New Testament says. I mean, this is remarkable. In the letter to the Corinthians, chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That's pretty comprehensive, right? Right? Do you know what in the original language, do it all for the glory of God means? Do it all for the glory of God. Exactly what it says. Everything. Your life, my life should be about glorifying God through knowing him and loving him and living in right relationship with him. It goes on to say in Colossians, basically the same thing, different wording, but same, same idea. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We are hardwired to glorify God. In 1646, there was a group of, of, um, of disciples, a group of Jesus followers who came together And they developed what's known as the Westminster Catechism. And they basically distilled what the Bible says down to a phrase, or they did their best to do so. And this is what they said. The chief end of man, or people, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is what we are created to do. 
So are you. Do you know God? Not just know about him, but do you know him by receiving him into your life as your God? Many of you know I lost my dad. Um, I lost both parents here in these last years. And in the last six months of my dad's life, when I was over at his house, spending time with him and my mom, and uh, my mom had left to go run an errand, and it was just my dad and I. My dad just out of the blue, and he did some things like this that I realized in hindsight he was being very deliberate about because he knew that he was, his life was gonna be ending at some point with that, that year. But he turned and looked at me and he said, Jay, you know what? I really enjoy you. I enjoy being with you. And then he turned away and watched TV. And I was 53 years old when he said that. And it meant everything to me, even though I was an adult. Does not every child long for their father to look them in the eye and say, I just enjoy you because I love you. I'm so grateful that I have a dad who said that and deliberately did that. But that's not the story for a lot of us. But it actually is the story of all of us. Because you have a heavenly father who created you to know him because he enjoys you. You ever thought about that? You ever thought about the God of the universe feels that way about us? And this isn't about, oh, just look how wonderful I am. No, it's this God created me to know him and enjoy him. And that brings him glory. He, he wants to give me life, not just eternal life, as if that wasn't enough. I mean, that's amazing, but he wants to give me life now. Do, do you have this life? That's the question that the gospel of John, and really God's word, keeps asking us over and over again. Another way to ask that is, are you really living? Because according to our culture, really living is getting as much stuff as you can making as much money as you can, acquiring as much success as possible, garnering and getting and eliciting people's approval. And you know what scripture says about that kind of life compared to this? Is empty. That's not life at all. But so often that's what our culture settles for. You know, I... I heard this story some years ago about this very wealthy man who died and he stipulated in his will that he was gonna take everything with him, even though he can't, but he was gonna try. So when he died, they literally, like the pharaohs of old, buried him with all of his stuff and people gathered to watch all this stuff being lowered into the ground and buried with this guy. And, and here's a limo getting buried with this guy and there, there's, there's this one person in the crowd who says, man, that's really living. <laughs> Seriously? And we hear a story like that, we go, you've got to be kidding me. But if we're honest with ourselves, don't we live like that sometimes? 
with what we prioritize? I mean, in fairness, we talk about giving as worship like we did earlier this morning, and we, 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 get, a, we get a little uncomfortable. Why, why is that? Isn't everything we have from God? Shouldn't we unapologetically be looking for ways to invest it into the lives of others, not just to be blessed by it, but to bless others? Because again, we're reminded God blesses us, not just to bless us, although he does. He blesses us to be a blessing to, to others. And what, what scripture is declaring here once again this morning is, if you don't know this God, if he is not your father, then you're not really living. Or to put it another way, you're dead. You are living a spiritually dead life. Ephesians 2 chapter 5 declares that unequivocally. Because not only does this God want to be with us, he wants us to be like him. He wants us to do what he did, to live like he lived. And as we've been hearing through God's word the last several weeks, he gives us his Holy Spirit. He gives us his very presence, not only to empower us, but to help us live like him and, and be like him. To grow in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all these things that Galatians 5.22 talks about and that we talked about last week. For those of you who weren't here, in the passage that preceded this, I, I listened to this message last night when I, when I got back into civilization here, and Matt preached about the passage that precedes this, and we were reminded that there's this joy that is accessible for you and me. It transcends circumstance. It transcends situation. It even transcends relationships at times. But there, there's a joy that we can have through knowing Jesus and being like him, praying to him, and, and, and receiving from him. You know, I was talking with one of our folks here last week and she lost her husband this last year. And that's, that's not a path I've had to walk is, is losing Jamie Lynn. I've had loss in my life, but I, I, I can appreciate losing your spouse is, is its own kind of loss and heartache and grief. And I asked her how she was doing. And she said, you know, I'm, I'm hanging in there. You know, I hurt. I, I so deeply miss him. Every day I'm reminded he's not there. And, and she necessarily is grieving and mourning him. But then she looked me in the eye, but she said, but I choose joy. And I thought, what a vivid illustration of what Matt preached and proclaimed from God's word last week. Here, the disciples are grief-stricken because they're beginning to understand that Jesus is going to leave them, and yet he's calling them to joy in the midst of that. And again, what I love about God's word and what Jesus modeled to us is you never have to pretend things are better than they are. There is a time and a place for lament and grief and heartache and sorrow, but you can still find joy even in the face of those things, even in the midst of those things. And here's Jesus facing the excruciation of the cross. He has a pretty good idea from the things he said of what's coming, and he's choosing and finding joy. Why? In part because he's completing the work that God called him to. Look what he said in our passage. I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Well, what was that? What was the work that God the Father gave him to do? So glad you asked. Fulfilling the promises. 
of God. Promises that span the Old Testament to the New. That God would send the one who would enact the divine rescue mission to right all wrongs, to restore things to the way God always intended them to be, to die as a sacrifice in our place on a cross to give us true life and hope and joy and purpose, to bring his kingdom and restore shalom the way God always intended things to be, to live and model for us the spirit-filled life and to fulfill his hour, which again is Gospel of John's shorthand for the death, burial, resurrection, and exaltation of Jesus, Jesus giving his life so that we might have ours. And then ascending to the right hand of the Father to give us access to the Father, to intercede on our behalf, to be the advocate. Jesus brought God glory by finishing his work. But look at what he also said. It's kind of lurking in this passage, but I read over it several times before it dawned on me. Wait a minute, I've heard this before. Jesus said, for you have granted him, Jesus, authority over all people. Where have we heard that before? Think back with me to Vision Sunday in June. What were Jesus' last recorded words captured in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, before he went to be with the Father? How does it start? All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. How does that passage start? Once again, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Well, Matthew 28 is our mission. It's our, it's our mandate to go and make disciples, to go and make Jesus followers. That's why we support ministries like Bob's that is, that is helping craft and shape leaders to, again, to make more disciples. We become like him when we help others become like him. All this being said, Jesus goes on in this very prayer. We're, we're being a little sneaky here. We're reaching into something that's going to come in the next couple sermons in this very prayer. But we read deeper into this prayer and it says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. My friends, we glorify God by doing what he did. We go and make disciples. And this isn't just for pastors and missionaries and super spiritual people like Bob Maddox. This is for, I'm just teasing Bob. This is us. This is, our, this is our mandate. This is our mission. Well, you're a pastor. I expect you to say that. Okay, but the Bible says that. It's not just me. We bring the kingdom of God by how we live, by what we do, by, by telling the story. And, and we want to be deliberate in how we live that story. My friends, you have to hear this because our culture doesn't. You and I have a greater purpose than making lots of money or living for the weekend or longing for the next vacation or looking forward to whatever. You have a purpose to your life, every single one of you, and so do I. It's to glorify God, it's to enjoy him, it's to know him, and it's to help others do the same. We call that making disciples. And we talked about this on, on Vision Sunday. You know, and said, hey, let's put some goals out there for us this summer. Let's each one of us look to tell someone about Jesus. 
to help someone enjoy Jesus the way, the way we do. Let's look for an opportunity to serve someone, to serve together. Let's invest into, into someone. Let's live our lives with, with purpose. And, you know, a question that we get, and necessarily so, as elders right now is, you know, where's the church going? Where are we headed? And it feels like in this season, what the Lord keeps revealing to us, well, he certainly keeps revealing to me. I feel like he's got a megaphone to my ear these last six months to make sure I don't miss this, is we're about growing deeper and going wider with the gospel. We want to grow deeper in, in knowing Jesus and in, in living him living out our relationship with him, knowing him deeper and more progressively each day, enjoying him because he enjoys us, and then helping others do the same. Many of you know, I hope all of you know, but many of you know that this last year, the elders um, enacted a sabbatical policy for, for our staff, and you can look at it and read it and get your Get your head and arms around it if you'd like by going to our website in the footer of our homepage. There's a little link called documents. You click on that and it'll take you to all of our policies and position papers, which I know you're just all dying to read. But this one does have our sabbatical policy as well. And just so we're on the same page, this is not a glorified vacation. Sabbaticals are intended to rest and rejuvenate and replenish our staff, our team, by enabling them to go and enjoy God. Go and be with him. And I'm going to be taking mine in September. I'll be gone end of September till the beginning of December. I've been in ministry for 31 years. This is the first sabbatical I've ever been blessed to have. I cannot thank you enough for loving. Well, thank you. But I can't, I can't thank you enough for loving our staff and our team enough to send us away, not to get away from you, but to go and be with God so we can hear him and enjoy him and listen to him and come back rejuvenated. I plan on connecting with mentors who have been mentoring me for much of my life. Um, I plan on remembering and looking back on my call here to Grace. 18 years ago when Jamie and our little kids at the time first came to Grace, we had a page filled of specific God things that he made very, very clear to us circumstantially through his word, through what people told us, through prayer, that it would have been disobedient to have not come to grace. It was really, really clear, absolutely confident and certain that this is where God wanted us to be. And in this next season, I feel like the megaphone that God's been yelling into my ear about in the best possible way is discipleship. How can we grow deeper as a community and as individuals in knowing and loving God? And how do we focus our programming and the resources that we do to that end? Not just introducing people to Jesus, which we'll always do, but once people know the Lord, how do we, how do we deepen together? I feel like I've got a fire in my belly already going on this sabbatical. I was hoping to get that coming out of it. I've got it going in to it. So I'm, I'm pretty, pretty excited. And again, I want to thank you for, for loving the staff of me enough to, to send us away to do this. And I realize not everyone gets to do this. And so I'm, I'm profoundly grateful. But I want to be about enjoying God, knowing God, being like him, doing what he did. That's really the heart of what discipleship is all about. You know, we mentioned the Maui wildfires. This is Lahaina, or what was Lahaina. I've walked those streets. 
I've talked to a number of people who live in that community. One of the dynamics that makes this so devastating is some of the poorest people in Maui live in Lahaina. And they work two to three jobs just to survive because the cost of living is so incredibly expensive there. And they have no fallback. Now, there are folks in Lahaina who, you know, their home is their second, third, fourth home. You know, they're going to be fine. They have insurance. They have resources. They'll rebuild. But this, this really is a catastrophe for so many people. They just, they don't know what to do. They've lost everything. And I'll never forget this story that I just read this week about this one lady who lives on the outskirts of Lahaina. Her home didn't burn, but most of her neighbors did. The town's virtually gone. And so she asked herself, what do I, what do? I do? And so she went to this place where they were busing people and trying to collect people to give them food and water and a place to sleep and putting out cots and in, in the aftermath of this. And so she goes with what little she has and she's handing out her own food to people because she just wants to help. And then she went back to her house and she had a tent. And so she pitched this tent on her lawn and now a family's living there who lost there are things she doesn't know who they are, but she's using what she has to try to help. Ordinary people doing ordinary things empowered by an extraordinary God. Where do you start with all this? Where do you start with glorifying God? Well, it starts by being with him, receiving him into your life, and then it continues with becoming like him as you cooperate with his spirit, his very presence in your life to grow you and develop you and, and deepen you. And you become less self-oriented and more others-oriented. And then you begin to find a joy and a purpose and a hope and a meaning in life that you don't find with just being a selfish person. It's a rich life and a good life and it's a life of blessing and it's the life that God's word promises to those of us who love him and will follow him. And then it's just, it's doing what he did. And all this can happen because of what Jesus did for us. So as Becca and Tony come and we choose to glorify God by responding in worship, what does it mean for you to glorify him this morning? More than just singing these songs and declaring these realities and truths, which is wonderful. We need to do that. We will do that. But do you know him? And if you do, are you becoming like him? Are you doing what he did? Because you can. Because that's your purpose, is to know him and enjoy him because he knows and enjoys you and me. So as we worship communion off to the sides, man, get up, go and remind yourself. Take communion. Remember what he's done for you. Raise your hands. Sit quietly. Stand. Sit. But respond to this amazing God. Let me pray for us as we do so. Lord, thank you that you created us to know you, to enjoy you, to experience you. Lord, would you forgive us for the times we settle for far less when we choose to be selfish or self-focused, sinful, 
when that's not our true identity. You call us your sons and daughters because you are our father. So Lord, would you remind us of all these things all over again? Would you help us to be with you, to be like you, and to do what you did? Because we love you. Because you first loved us. And it's by your sacrifice, your blood, your very life, Jesus, that we can come to the Father. So we thank you for that. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What a powerful truth. What an amazing verse. What a life-changing reality. But sometimes I forget that. How about you? Sometimes I lose sight of my purpose to enjoy God, to be like him, to do what, what he did. And I've found one of the most helpful ways to keep perspective with all that life throws at you and me day in and day out is to take God's word and internalize it, memorize it. And I would submit to you, this is a great verse for you to know if you don't know already. Would you say this after me? Now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. One more time. Now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You're on your way to memorizing John 17, 3, which I would highly encourage you to do. But even more importantly, the God of the universe wants you to be in right relationship with him to the point that owing us nothing, he instead gives us everything by sending Jesus to show us what the spirit-filled life looks like. And then he exchanges his life for ours to redeem and rescue you and I from an empty life, a sinful life, a selfish life, a shallow life that really isn't life at all, to give us life now and then eternal life. I hope that is your story here this morning. I know for many of you it is, but if you've never taken that life-changing, defining moment step of receiving Jesus Christ into your life as your Lord and Savior, please do not leave this place without doing so. Would you come talk to me? Would you talk to our prayer teams who are up here up front? And again, if we can pray for you about anything, please, please come. We, we believe in the power of prayer. And for those of you who are watching, listening online, will you reach out to us and let us know how we can pray for you? Or if you'd love to receive Jesus, we'd love to help you do that. So let me pray God's blessing over us one more time. Thank you that true life is found only in knowing and experiencing and enjoying you. That's what you created us for, was to know you and be known by you. Thank you, Lord. I pray for every person here, every person watching and listening online, that as we go into the rest of our day, that you would remind us that you are with us, that you want us and will help us to be like you, and you want us to do the things that you did. So give us opportunity for just that. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. amen. So we'll see you next week. Go enjoy your 100-degree day. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. 
For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.